0: From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now a moment of silence before this episode begins. Actually, talking about community a little bit this morning. In um, our text for the day, it comes from Paul's letter to the church, a group of people, a group of strange people uh, in a place called Corinth. Uh, and we're going to be reading an excerpt from chapter 9. Uh, and I'm actually going to start in verse 15 and go to 23. There's a little discrepancy in the bulletin whether it's 15 or 16. We're going to go with 15 to 23. Um, but remember that this is nine chapters deep uh, into a letter, right? Letters don't come with chapters. This was a long letter, and we are stepping in multiple pages in and reading something a bit out of context. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of what came first, uh, but this is the part we'll focus on today. So if you would hear now this reading from 1 Corinthians 9, 15 to 23. The Apostle Paul writes, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing this so that they may be applied in my case. Indeed, I would rather die than that. No one will deprive me of my ground of boasting. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me. And woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, then I'm entrusted with a commission. And what then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might share in its blessings. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, some pretty heady language. I don't know how many letters you get that sound like that, but um, I want to give you a a bit of a frame of what's happening here. Uh, To be honest with you, I absolutely, I don't know what this says about me, I absolutely adore, I've kind of become obsessed uh, with this part of the letter to the Corinthians and Paul's letter to it because what I hope I can explain to you here briefly that you can go back and see for yourself. Is but he is straight, like bawling out on these people, uh, like in a unbelievable way that's especially and deeply satisfying for me as a preacher, right? And um, and so let me just kind of give you a sense of what's been going on. Uh, In this letter, Paul's writing to this church. They're a bit of a hot mess. They're they're tearing each other apart. And so he begins to address these very hot topics, um, ways in which the community is violating its own sexual ethic, uh, where powerful people are uh, involved in unfit relationships. Um, with those who are weak, those who are in a committed covenantal relationship with others. They've got people in the church who are suing one another. And he's saying, listen, uh, I understand that maybe out in the rest of the world, this would be fair and appropriate. And maybe your rights have been, but like, we don't sue each other. It's just not who we are. Then there's this whole thing where they're fighting about um, the menu, right? That they have parties, and uh, some people, and this was actually last week's lectionary text, but that there, uh, there's some enlightened uh, Christians at this point who recognize and believe that there is only one true God. And so if some pagan folks in their town want to take a choice cut of ribeye and offer it to their idol, um, these Christians have no problem saying, and when you're done with that, we don't mind eating it, Right? Uh, we're not going to see that ribeye go to waste, and other Christians who are maybe newer to the faith, maybe who grew up in that pagan environment, feel like that's wildly reckless. How could, how could you eat meat that was sacrificed to a different God? That feels like total, like, um, it's messing with them spiritually, and so Paul sort of gets in their business, and he begins to tell them, look, folks over here, I get it. I'm actually with you. I agree. It's just meat. Anybody can eat it. It doesn't matter if it was prayed to some false god, whatever. But if it's jacking your siblings up, just don't do it, you know? Um, And and so he's working in this community through this letter in some very intense, controversial ways with a pretty heavy hand in a very specific direction. And so in chapter 9, he gets to this point where the first 14 verses is... um, is he basically answers the question of where do you get off, right? He imagines that the crowd listening on the other side of this letter is going, like, by what authority? Where, where do you get off telling us how to live and getting into our business and our relationships and even the way we eat? Like, you are overreaching. And so, and this is where I'm like, I'm about to lose you for 14 verses, but it's gonna feel real good to me. So just like... <laughs> He says, where do I get off? Uh, don't tell me I don't have any authority. Let me remind you, this is my job. Uh, I'm an apostle. Uh, and by the way, he says, I'm pretty freaking good at it. And you know why? Because you're sitting in this room reading a letter that I'm writing. You know, You didn't exist until I showed up in your town and brought you together. And now you have a community that you didn't have until I got there. Your lives have been transformed. I can tell you the stories of the ways in which you and your relationships were a nightmare until I showed up in your life and pointed you in the right direction. I have the authority to do exactly what I'm doing, right? Then he says, but I also recognize there's some critics of mine out there right now, and they're kind of throwing a fit, and they're saying that uh, I've got ulterior motives um, because I'm getting paid to do this, and they're coming after my salary, and, and they're saying it's unfair and that, I'm, and that you shouldn't listen to me because of, of how um, this is just a pay-to-play game for me, right? And so then he goes off, I'm telling you, 12, if you are in seminary or a pastor, I'm about to give you the best 12 verses for negotiating your next comp package. <laughs> this is what he says. He said, if this is my job, am I not? do I not have a right to fair accommodation? Should I not? be able to feed my own family? Is it not fair that I, that I too could eat and drink and have a safe place to stay? He goes, listen, do soldiers raise their own pay? Seems to me that they do their work and get paid for it. What about gardeners? You think, would it be fair for a gardener to work a garden nonstop and not be allowed to eat any of the tomatoes from their produce? Uh, and then he starts going Old Testament on them. And he says, listen, it was God himself, who said that when you let your oxen work your field, you better not put a muzzle on them while they're doing so. In essence, saying this ox is the thing that's plowing the field that's making you rich. How dare you put a muzzle on them and not let them eat some of the fruit of their own labor as they work? In fact, in the temple, was it not true that the priests themselves got a piece of the sacrifice and the offering that God's people put on them? So where do I get off? It's my job. I'm good at it. You're the result of it. And I have every right to be paid, and so does everyone else who ever does this work. And then he says this. And that's when I was like, we should preach this this Sunday, right? (laughs) And then uh, he says this in verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights... Nor am I writing this so that they may be applied in my case. Indeed, I would rather die than that. No one will deprive me of my ground for boasting. Translation, everything I just said is true, and yet I've never taken a penny from you. And I never will, and it's not why I'm writing this letter now. In fact, over my dead body would I allow you to pay me, because you would take away this thing I very much enjoy sharing, right? Is that I do this thing for free, though it's fair that you would pay someone to do it. Here's why I honestly fell in love with that when I started to read it, not just the swagger in it and how direct and bold and clear-minded and fair I think it is in what can often be a really messy space in the life of church and church work and all the rest. But what he names here is like, if I'm being really honest, it's been like a fantasy of mine for uh, 20 years. In 2003, I heard this story that um, Rick Warren, who's the founding pastor of Saddleback, one of the largest churches in the country, in the world, Um, in in 2003, um, he may have written the book a year or two earlier, but it was in 2003 that Rick Warren, who wrote the book Purpose Driven Life had made so much money off of this one book that he decided to pay his church back for all 23 years of his compensation and to never again take a paycheck. And I just thought that's like the most baller thing ever. And like, what would it look like? What would it feel like to be in a position where one day I could say to Church on Morgan, it's been great, here's a check, for every dollar you've ever paid me, and I'm never taking another cent, right? This to detach my work from any sort of financial relationship. Um, This has become such like a strong fantasy of mine that before I even read this text this week, like I had already shared it once or twice in the last month just in random conversation, right? And here's why. Because there's a version of this where you go as long as there's money in it, as long as you're connected financially, you feel like you're under the control of something, right? Or someone. And, and so there's this, um, when I'm, I'll just make it really plain. You're, I swear, I hope I can dig myself out of the picture I'm painting of myself. But when I first started in ministry, one of the churches I worked at was a pretty formal place. And, um, and they, let's just say the leadership was not a fan of what I often wore to work. And so I was in this never ending negotiation that I eventually sort of lost and found myself at Brooks Brothers getting the blazer and the bow tie and I did it for a couple years, right? And I just remember thinking, someday I'm gonna write a book that's gonna allow me to pay all these jokers back and I'll say, and I'm wearing whatever I want, right? <laughs> There there are moments when, uh, in ministry and you're leading where there are things um, that you would like to say or decisions that you know you need to make. But if I'm just being completely honest, you know the the ramifications could be such um, that could just impact your own family's bottom line and whether you can feed your kids and whether you still have a job and all the rest of it. And so, so many pastors in that moment get torn sort of in their integrity. And so they, they sort of, they step back. But if I wasn't paid, if that thing was taken care of, if I never had to worry about money again, it's kind of like there's a freedom, there's a power of kind of stepping into that. Here, I'll give you one more example uh, as, we're, as I'm oversharing. Um, a couple of years ago, I stopped posting on Instagram Um, And part of it was because I enjoyed Instagram as a highlight reel. I actually am okay with that. I know people get really worked up about it. I'm like, I think it's great. That's why my family and friends follow me was to see my highlight reel so I could share with them the best moments that were happening with my kids and in my life and with my friends. And so uh, I didn't post all the heavy, hard, whatever days. It didn't feel like that's what it was for. It felt like, hey, here's my photo album. This is a place I can go back and enjoy and revisit all the best moments in my life and share with other people. But there were folks in our community who, when they would look at my feed and they would see the vacations I were on, got really offended and upset that their pastor would have a good time somewhere sunny. And so I just stopped posting, right? There's a world in which, when I'm not connected to this place financially, where I go, and I'm gonna post whatever I want on Instagram. (laughs) And you didn't pay for it, you know? This has been my fantasy. The only reason I share this with you this morning is that I know you have a version of this. It's not just me, and it's not just pastors. You have some freedom fantasy where you think, if I could just make a certain amount of money or get myself in a certain situation, right, or start my own company or do whatever, I would finally be free. I wouldn't have to have that annoying supervisor who has certain demands on the time I show up, the way I show up, what I do when I show up, I'd finally be able to do the thing I wanna do and how I wanna do it. And so when I hear Paul sort of ball out and go, by the way, I have a right to all that, but just to be clear, I've never taken a cent and I'm gonna tell you exactly what I think, right? There's just a freedom and a power in that. It just feels like a fantasy I can't get over. Which is why his next verse is so upsetting. (laughs) In verse 19, after making this profound case of his freedom and his agency and the fact that I have no claim on him, he says that, though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all. I'm just sort of like, what's the point? If you're not going to take the paycheck, man, then you're free. If you're going to choose to be a slave to all these people and a servant to all their wishes and their desires, then at least take the paycheck, you know? Like, isn't that break the whole reason of, of kind of your case? Like, why would you be so finally free from all the claims that all these folks can make on your life only to put yourself back underneath all of them? It's like, I, I could not understand why he would do this. And he says, and it's taken me at least five days to begin to understand some of this. He says, don't twist it. Like, I'm definitely getting something out of this. Uh, I'm not just sort of flashing myself around as this virtuous hero who who just is kind of like a a slave to all these people for no reason. I, I have a reward. I'm getting my reward in this work. And the reward that I'm getting wait for it, is you. The reason why I've chosen to become a slave to each and every one of you, even though I don't need to, and I didn't take any of your money, is because you are my reward. He says it this way. He said, I have become a Jew so that I might win Jews. I've become a Gentile so that I might win Gentiles. I've become strong to the strong so I might win the strong. I've become weak to the weak, so that I might win the week. Uh, I have become all things to all people, so that I might, by all means, win some. Uh, You are the reward for me. Our board had a meeting this week, kind of our first one of the year, and one of our new members, um, my buddy Alan Mask, who's often at the nine, they're trying 11. Um, But... We're going around, we're making introductions, and he said this thing in passing and I was like, oh man, this is why you're on our board and I never should be on anyone's. But he, he said, um, people were going, what do you do for work? And he goes, well, my work's sort of interesting, I, complicated, work. I do two things at work. One is that I invest in businesses and the other is that I build businesses. I kind of live on both sides of that line. And he says, so sometimes when I'm doing my work of investing in build businesses, I'll be like very wearing like very fancy clothes. And then other times you'll see me doing the work of like building businesses, the more creative work, and I'll be very, very down dressed, right? Um, he said, but don't get it twisted. They're both a uniform. And I was just in that moment was like, I spent 10 years battling about a uniform, um, because I, I missed the people that were on the other side, right? And here he is, quit like, hey, I just I want to connect with the finance folks, so I'm going to put my FinTech bro outfit on. Like, what, who cares? You're most important. Our relationship's most important. Now I'm over here working with all the creatives, the influencers, the designers, and the whatever. I'm not going to show up pretending to, you know, flaunting that I'm the boss in a suit. Let me get in some jeans and a black t-shirt and we'll do this thing. Like whatever it takes, right? It's all a uniform. There's a bigger goal at stake. This is what I think we miss about Paul. Sometimes we think about Paul, especially churches like Church on Morgan, and we just think this guy, he's a bit of a curmudgeon and he's very like inflexible, but this is how this is why he's the greatest missionary of all time. That, that we see it in, inside of Paul, this logic, this heart, where he says in the first chapter 8, when they're fighting about whether they can eat meat sacrificed to idols or not, and he's going, look, I get it, you're right, it doesn't matter. You can eat any meat that's been sacrificed to another idol because there is no other God, whatever. But if that's really messing your like brother up, just give up meat. He goes, hell, I'll be a vegetarian for eternity if it means I can preserve this relationship with them, right? At one point, he, uh, who's, Paul, who's like the finest educated, part of the Jewish ruling class, in order to connect with a community that he longed to be in relationship with, it was working class, he starts a church in a place called Thessalonica. Thessalonica, that's where the the letters first and second Thessalonians come from, which are the earliest letters we have in the whole New Testament. It was the first faith community, first, first church he formed. He formed it among sweatshop workers. And the way he did it is he became a sweatshop worker. He gave up his carriage, his chariot, his power, his accommodations, his whatever, and he got one single outfit with his tools and he went to work every day and he worked alongside of these people until they became friends and their life shaped him and his shaped theirs and a church was born on the other side. This is what Paul's getting at when he says that I've become all things to all people that by all means I might win some. You're the reward, right? We, here's what I noticed is that in my freedom fantasy, what's really at stake there is I just want to be free from you. I just want to be free of each other, right? And what Paul's saying is that true freedom is when you get free of yourself, when you're actually free of always having to be right, of it always having to be your way, that there's actually real freedom is on the other side of that. And what's in danger for many of us is that we'll chase these kind of fantasy freedoms for our entire life, only to find out we miss the real joy of this life, which, like spoiler alert, is communion, is relationship, is being connected to one another. Um, uh, over time in the nursery is gonna rage. So let me share one last story. There's um. This, by the way, Paul learned from Jesus, this is, though he uh, was very God and had all the rights of God, he gave it up, took on flesh, became one of us, obedient, even to the point of death. That depth of solidarity, that sort of uniform for the sake of relationship, right? One of the most beautiful stories I've heard about this, there's a, uh, an evangelical um, communicator who's pretty popular guy named David Nasser. If you've grown up in that world, you might know him. But David Nasser's personal story and how he became a Christian and has the platform he has is because um, his family, uh, he grew up in Iran. And in 1979, in the middle of a really bloody revolution, his family fled and they became refugees in America. And he was nine years old at the time. And he grew up in a moment in America where like the tension between America and Iran was uh, really thick and as an Iranian kid growing up in the South and having a certain experience, it, his childhood was tough. He said it was a traumatic hostility that he spent his life growing up in. And one day, his father, who's trying to figure it out and provide for his family and make a way, um, owns a restaurant, and he's building this small little restaurant, and he's wildly understaffed. And this one day at lunch, this table comes in, they sit down, The service is terrible. The food's not coming out. Nothing's happening. And this table, uh, one of whom was a a worship leader uh, at the table, saw what was happening to this Iranian man and to his restaurant and that he was getting buried. And so they just quietly got up and they started bussing tables and helping. And they got in the kitchen and they asked if they could help deliver food or they could help make it. And they got them through the lunch rush. And then the next day they all came back and they decided to do it again. On the second day, they come, and they realize this, this gentleman has no staff, he can't afford, he doesn't whatever, and so we get, they get in the mix, and they, they bust tables, and they wait tables, and they take trash out, and they do the things to help this man who's clearly over his head, whose story they don't know, but that is clearly worth knowing, right? And at the end of that day, uh, David Nasser, talking about his father, who is a former military man in Iran, said they These sweet, well-intended, but like completely out of touch folks said to him, um, hey, we're we're actually a part of this church up here. We're all in the choir. We would love it if you'd want to come to choir practice, which David was like, you got, it's like the worst invite of all time. Um, And yet, because of their kindness, he takes them up on it. And he goes to this choir practice and at the first choir practice they introduce everybody to David's father and they say, we met him at his restaurant, he was a little understaffed, we jumped in and helped. And so tonight, the choir director says, if you're a part of this choir, a new requirement is that you have to put in a shift at his restaurant every week until we can get him up on his feet and going. And so they come and they serve and they grow this restaurant and they get him on his feet and they tell their friends and they build his business. And he said, that's why I'm here today preaching to you. That's how I found my faith in this family was that the traumatic hostility that my life had been defined by was exchanged by like a traumatic hospitality. There, there, if I'm sitting at that table I'm pissed and I'm walking out. I have rights. I showed up here. I ordered my food. I need it, right? And yet Paul, the heart, what he's saying is like, you could spend your whole life obsessed with your rights, trying to get free of the inconvenience of everyone around you and miss the whole point and the reward of this thing, which is communion with each other. You don't need to be free of each other. You need to be free of yourselves. And so this morning, Church on Morgan, I can't help but wonder what communion we're missing out on, what relationships we've missed and our fight for our own freedom. And in this moment where the next, Lord help us, 10 months, we we desperately try to get free of each other. What would it look like to be free of ourselves enough to find communion with those around us? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.